This is episode three of our In The Know podcast. I am Dan Helley, and I am glad to be joined by Leah Niehaus, who is a licensed clinical social worker and a mother and a wife here in our community in Manhattan Beach. Welcome, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Please tell us a little bit about what you do and what you've been doing. Sure. Um, first, I'm a mother to three children in the community. We have a daughter in 10th grade, a son in 7th grade, and a son in 5th grade. And then I've also been licensed as a clinical social worker for almost 20 years. So for the last 17 years, I've been in part-time private practice um, while mothering our children. And I provide psychotherapy. And primarily, it's been with teenagers, um, you know, adolescents, young adults, and their families over the last 17 years. I've been involved actively on the social emotional wellness boards at Pacific and at Manhattan Beach Middle School. And I'm very involved with the South Bay Families Connected and the Student Mental Health Task Force with Beach City's Health District. Um, very passionate about youth mental health, and I'm happy to have an opportunity to speak today um, with you about this important topic. Well, we're all going through the same thing right now, trying to keep our kids uh, and ourselves sane while we're all working out of the house and mm -hmm. um, on Zoom calls and the kids are taking these classes during the pandemic. And um, I, I know you've you've talked to um, a lot of people in the community, a lot of kids uh, in the community in addition to your own. What is going through their mind? I mean, I talk to my kids every day, but what are you finding when you talk to other kids around us? Well, I think... I think I noticed two things. First, I'm often struck by the tremendous resiliency in our children and teenagers in the community. Um, many, many hard days over the last nine months, but also I see many opportunities um, where children have, they're growing, they're stretching, they're trying to make the best of a very challenging situation. Um, I think that it has just gone on for so long that the children are weary and we parents are weary. I would say what I've noticed for my practice in Hermosa Beach was initially it was very quiet in March and April as people were hunkered down and the, relief, the pressure was kind of off, the older adolescents. Um, all of a sudden, no SATs, no big final exams, less hours at school. There was, a, I think, a relief for some of those kids because the pace of life that we've been living out had slowed way down. And so clients kind of were quiet on the therapy front for a while. And then I would definitely say by May, my phone just kept ringing. I mean, it's been ringing off the hook for months. Um, and it's old clients needing to get back in. It's clients that I was already working with who had some depression or anxiety or other difficulty they have become more fragile and distressed in this moment. And then I would say a new trend I see is children and adolescents and young adults who in a different moment would really not have needed therapy. They're, you know, pretty stable kid from a well, you know, adjusted family, but they really are having a hard time with the ongoing pandemic and what that has meant for their, you know, social life and loneliness and, and symptomatology. So, I think, you know, um, I think that overall there's a widespread low level of depression and anxiety in many children, adolescents, and parents. Um, I just think that it's, there's been little light at the end of the tunnel, even now with a vaccine. I think people um, want to be hopeful, yet we're nervous about being hopeful. 
uh, we've been waiting for so long that there is kind of a pervasive sadness and, and stress about what's going on. Um, I definitely see more kids and teenagers with um, high levels of overwhelm, panic attacks, um, you know, more nightmares in young children, more suicidal ideation, suicide attempts. Um, I would say more substance abuse experimentation and um, overdoses, even here in the South Bay, were definitely um, impacted. Often people think these things don't really happen here. And I'm, I just want to say I've had many sleepless nights worrying about clients that I serve um, and my own children in terms of their emotional health in these ongoing months. There's been more self-harm and increased eating problems, and I would say increased social anxiety too, as kids are just out of practice with the normal kind of peer interactions that they're used to. And um, I think families are really struggling too. A lot more calls for moms that are overwhelmed in this moment, for couples who are really struggling in their marriages, being together all the time. And this, this time has really shown a light, you know, where some of our weaknesses are, you know, in families and marriages and things like that. In terms of the long-term effects of this anxiety and depression, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We, we know things at some point will get back to normal, but the likelihood is that it's going to be a form of what we're living in right now for the rest of the school year. What are the long-term effects of the emotional in terms of emotional well-being with the anxiety and depression they're going through now? I mean, I think this is like the million dollar question. I don't, we don't really know. This is so unprecedented. We, you know, our generation has never lived through something like this. And so I don't know that we know the long-term effects. My gut is that children and teenagers and families are mostly resilient that we will get through this and honestly come through it probably stronger than we realized we could be. But I do think there there is a subset of our population that is more emotionally sensitive, um, has more challenges from a genetic standpoint with depression, anxiety, et cetera. And I think it's gonna be slower for some of those, you know, kids and families to come back. Um, you know, there's been tremendous loss tremendous loss. It, potentially some families have been affected by COVID and maybe lost someone they love. But even if that has not been the case, uh, the loss of so many, so many rituals and experiences that our children look forward to um, at every step of the, you know, every step of the way, there's loss at every level, I think. So that may have some lingering effects. Like as as the world normalizes and stabilizes, how quickly can we shift back? You know, and and I do think um, some people are going to move quickly through that process and kind of regain um, the composure and stability that they used to have. And some will take longer. Some some kids are gonna. This is gonna have longer impacts than we would love to see. You know. So my next question is, how do we support the kids? And this for me is um, probably the most trying part of being a parent right now because mm -hmm. they're on Zoom calls all day. So my initial you know, reaction is after they're off the Zoom calls, go outside, do something physical. Mm -hmm. Yet, 
some of sometimes my kids want to socialize on Snapchat and Insta. They want to talk to their friends on FaceTime. They've been on screens all day. So mm-hmm. I fight this inner struggle uh, within me to say, get off the screen, go outside and do something because I know that socialization is important for them. Mm-hmm. How do we support them right now? Yes, I think this is a really important question that all of us parents are struggling with in this moment because we all know that the Zooming all day for school and added technology for entertainment, relaxation, connection, it's too much. We know it's too much online behavior, but we also are living in a world where they don't have a whole lot of options right now. And so we do want to support the socialization and connection piece. Um, I think that I think that to the degree we can, we want to support their socialization. And there are some platforms I like better than others for that. You know, I, I, I do believe in limiting like social media. I believe in limiting news media right now. I believe all of it can be pretty toxic. I've heard a lot of teenagers actually telling me how, especially during the period over the summer where we had the racial riots and the peaceful protests, or we've had a very toxic kind of political environment. And if teenagers were to post something they were partaking in or something they didn't post about because they didn't know how to post about what they believed around the peaceful protests or things, people were judging them. They constantly felt judged, attacked. And I, I think that that is, if kids are feeling that way online, best to get them off. Let's limit that. That's not a good way of them connecting. And we have to help educate our kids about what choices to make on social media and what they want to engage with and what they don't in this moment. Um, But I do think that there are opportunities for them to utilize social media or other platforms like playing Among Us together or doing a Netflix party or things like that that at least feel like some kind of socialization for them, that we as parents have to kind of be flexible about that and partake in some of it with them. And instead of fighting this world that we're having them also live in, like how can we join it? Um, My preference is always if we can give them as many normal experiences after those school hours as possible, like if they can do some kind of sports or outdoor activity, of course, I think that's better. If they can have some kind of in-person contact with their friends that you feel comfortable with, of course, I think that's better for them. I think there is a way for children to be safe. If, if you have a family risk or there's a particular concern around COVID and you want to be extra safe, I do think there's a way to do that, socially distance in the backyard with your masks on or whatever, in a way that kids' social needs are being met and you're kept safe. Um, I just think it's gone on for so long and I see the clients in my office whose families have had to be super hunkered down. I see the loneliness and the toll that it's taking on them. So I don't think once a week for an hour in the backyard is enough social interaction for kids at their age. But I I think you you asked about what can we do to help them in this moment and help them heal as parents. And I would just remind parents that this really is an opportunity for us, even though we are exhausted and we're weary, it we can pivot ourselves and we can have a shift in our own thinking as parents to use this time with them and this, this opportunity to actually build more closeness than you had time for before and stop yelling and being frustrated with them. 
they've had to be very brave and courageous during this time and how can we support them. I think being more attuned to them and knowing that each of your children's different, what works for one child in your family may not work for the other. This is really a time to listen to them, not judge their experience. It's a time to let them cry or cry with them if you're having one of those kind of days. I think it's important to try not to feed into their fears. Some anxious kids are getting really anxious right now. And I think to the degree that we can be grounded, we can reassure and be optimistic, I think it's very helpful. Um, I think to focus less on the academics in this moment is important. I Obviously, we all want our children to thrive in school and to learn, and much of this is on hold with online learning. It's just not working for everyone. And yet, I think the priority has to be keeping our kids emotionally afloat. And so to really help yourself calm down on that front and just really focus on that. I think this is really a time to do a longer tuck-in at night, give more back scratches, more family cooking together, more light, fun family TV, you know, more fun outdoors together, getting creative. You know, you're, you really are the most important people in the lives of your children. And they are watching your every move right now um, about how to respond to the situation. They look to you and they trust you that, you're going to hold them through this period. And so really like remembering the importance of the job that you have right now. And I like this idea of both and and. It's a, it's a strategy we use in therapy sometimes, but how can we be both parents that acknowledge their suffering and their struggle right now and also be hopeful and optimistic and grounding? How can we do both? Because that's where we're kind of living right now. How can we as adults be hope, have hope in the face of uncertainty? That, that is something that I'm struggling with myself and some days are easier than others, right? And so just to give ourselves that permission, have adult conversations with your spouse when you need to support each other. Um, don't expose your kids to every stress that you're having right now. They don't need it. They're worrying about us too. You, you are basically the three different age groups that I want to hit on here, elementary, mm -hmm. middle, and high school in terms of your, your three kids. Um, when you're trying to connect with them as, as parent to child, obviously it's different for, for every age group. What, what would you recommend for those three different age groups, starting with elementary? Yeah, I would say for elementary, and this goes to thinking of my youngest child who's in fifth grade, but also just the clients that we serve in my office. Um, and what I know about young children, they, their primary attachment is to their parents still. So the wonderful part about this for the parents of elementary school children is while you're exhausted because they require more from you every moment of the day, they actually want to be with you and they enjoy your company more than older children. And that's normal and natural. So I would just play to that right now. This is the time to you know, play the board game, go outside and take a walk, get creative with them. And they will probably enjoy that experience. Um, I challenge parents sometimes to 20 minutes of quality time a few times a week with their elementary school child. And that sounds like not very much time, but I would challenge any adult 
to silence their phone, not be distracted, not get the dinner started, not get distracted by something, you know, the phone ringing or et cetera, and really just do what the child wants to do. So if that means playing a board game or walking the dog or building Legos, like really to be present with them, that those little those little chunks of time are very meaningful to young children. Um, I would say also, you know, music, sports, outdoors, you know, just engaging in the world. My fifth grader said to us the other night, mom, you know, the North Star is going to be out on Wednesday night. Did you know that? I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday night. And so we have a plan to go on a walk and make sure we see the North Star. It doesn't always come that's out. That's great. So just really like hearing something that's interesting to him and making time in my night to do it, you know. Um, for middle schoolers, I would say, of course, this is such an awkward age. They so want to be grown up and away from us as parents and with their peers, yet they're kind of in this in-between they need us very much, even though they're getting bigger and taller and look like they don't. Um, this is an age where I think they respond to activity together, where you're not always um, directly talking about how they're feeling, but maybe you're doing something together and you can check in with them. So whether that's a bike ride or that's let's go to the beach and you know I'll watch you surf or whatever kinds of things like that, I think go a long way with them. Hiking, I think chatting with them in the car is often a good strategy too because there's less pressure there's less eye contact they're just hanging in the car and you can maybe get them going on how they're really feeling um, in our family fun family tv has been a lifesaver we have watched so many funny shows that that's just the mood we're in and you know our middle schooler loves that kind of what time. about what are those shows Give me a couple some, names. Some shows we have really enjoyed during quarantine, of course, The Office, um, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek is great. Um, we just had, oh, Glee. What else? We just had another one, too. Um, but there are so many. We just have been in the mood for like a lighthearted kind of fun. Absolutely, yeah. And and so that has been really fun for the all of my kids that can kind of work at their ages. Um, so those those moments where we're just together in the same room, Spending time laughing is just a good outlet right now with, I think, the middle schoolers. Um, high school, you know, these poor kiddos, they've just been through so much and it's so hard to do these hard classes and not be in person with their, their peers. Um, I think a lot of the same kind of strategies work with high schoolers that do for middle schoolers in terms of doing activities. Um, really taking an interest in their friends and their own interests. Um, I would, there's a lot of research right now about this idea of independence interrupted for high schoolers, meaning, you know, the whole point of high school is to move away from your parents and to get more and more independent and to get your license and get a part-time job and be dating and be out with your friends and be involved in all your activities. And so much has been put on hold for these kids. So to the degree that we're able let's let them do some of these things, you know? Um, this is, my own daughter's gonna be taking her driving test in January. We've been spending a lot of time practicing her driving. You know, she just got a part-time job. She's gonna wear a mask and work downtown. I mean, these are the things like we have to try to let them do if you feel safe. Um, I think teenagers are often looking for novelty. So they want something kind of new and exciting. That's part of their age and developmental, um, you know, 
um, some mastery in these kind of exciting things. So for them, I think we have to work a little harder to think of where can we drive and get some really great surf waves? What hike can we do? Maybe up by the Hollywood Hills sign is kind of new and exciting. Um, how can we, because otherwise what happens if we don't expose them to things like this in a more healthy way, you know, they're out drinking on the beach all summer, like a lot of them were doing right. and getting into trouble. And so how can we enhance novelty and new experiences and trying new things in a way that's like more safe and productive for them? We hit on social media and screens um, a few minutes ago. I, I want to touch on the Zoom calls. And I'm always trying to figure out how I can help them. You know, bring them breakfast in the, in, in the morning and they're doing all this stuff in their rooms. They're on the Zoom calls. But I, I wonder about, you know, the long-term effects of these Zoom calls on their young developing brains. Mm -hmm. What is it? Do we even know at this at this point? I mean, I don't. I think we don't have any research on it. We don't really know what we can draw from is research in the field that says, you know, online, you know, too much time online is not good for their brains. So to that extent, we know that all this zooming is probably not good for them. And especially like how we hit on earlier, they're Zooming for school and they're also using it to socially connect or to relax or to watch a show or whatever. It's a lot of screen time in a day. And so I think we don't really know the long-term effects. I think um, to the degree we can, we want to try to disengage from it and get out and do other things. Um, as we move toward more hybrid schooling situations, I'm you know, hopeful that, you know, it, there will be less time on the screens. Um, we know that gaming and social media, you know, it does give you a dopamine hit in your brain, just like, you know, taking drugs do. And so there is an addiction, you know, component that we're just going to have to see how this rolls out. Um, but there's no doubt, at least in the mental health field, I think that the longer term effects of this is not great. We're just going to have to see what happens here. There are some kids, though, who almost do better in this format than they do in a classroom setting. Are you finding that in some of the kids that you're talking to? You know, I am. I'm finding that there are some kids who are getting by. I don't know that they're thriving in an online school environment because my idea of thriving would be different than sitting at home in your room getting good grades right. on Zoom. But I do think there are kids who were socially anxious, introverted, didn't have a great strong did not have a strong friend group that middle school or high school, you know, was very challenging for them. And so now that pressure's off. And so I do believe some kids are doing a little better than we would have expected. And what I would just say to those parents is, you know, count your blessings for the moment that it's going okay and then prepare for an uphill battle when the world normalizes and they have to get back to school and to social life when they've had no, not very much practice. And I do have clients, you know, I've had many clients say, well, I actually kind of prefer this. I think even when school goes back in person, I don't want to go back in person. I'm highly discouraging of that. And I'm trying to work with that in the therapy space and encourage their families. These are the precisely the kids who need to get back 
in person so that they can launch someday and function in life. And um, they need to be able to kind of keep flexing those muscles and working on these skills that are naturally a little bit harder for them. How do we remind them that this isn't going to be forever? Because it's so far, so difficult for, I think, kids to look down the road and the holidays are coming up and we're all going to be home together again and just reminding them that, hey, this is going to be normal again at some point. This is not going to be uh, a forever situation. I mean, I think that we have to keep saying those words out loud to them. And I think we as parents need to understand that in their short lifespan, this has already been a big and significant chunk of their life. If you think about a kindergartner, you know, this is almost a quarter of their life already. So, you know, younger kids are not going to understand things as much as the older kids. And we have the life experience to know these things will pass. And um, so... This is another opportunity where we can acknowledge the discomfort and the hopelessness that they feel, yet also provide them with, here are some reasons why I want to be encouraged today and why I'm trying to hang on to some hope here. And this is how we're going to move forward. And we hear you. And yet let's try to keep going, putting one foot in front of the other. How about three actions or, or, or takeaways that that we can use right now is something that you may tell your your clients that we can uh, use to help us kind of get through this time? I think it's simple and yet really hard, which is we as parents have to find our internal strength to model for them and guide them and hold them through this process. So some simple shifts in your thinking, some simple shifts in your patience with them and your empathy for what they're going through are really important. So a couple takeaways that I often say, one is to let your, light, let your eyes light up when you see them. So often we as parents are rushing through our days. We are busy balancing work and family life moving on to the next thing, frustrated by their whining or crying or tantruming, etc., that we don't actually slow down enough to look in their beautiful little faces that we created and, and connect with them. And that looks like every morning when you see them, even in this weird time when we're seeing everybody in our families 24-7, you don't, there's still a way to start the day where you look in their little face and good morning, how'd you sleep and checking in with them and what can I help you with for breakfast today? And to do that as much as you can throughout the day. And I will also say that works beautifully with children and it also works with your spouse. Oh, we're supposed to do that to our spouses too? We should. <laughs> we should remember why we pick them and why we're with them. Because I think this has been a hard time for couples too, even couples who very much love each other. Um, we all could use a little space sure. from each other. And and we need to have a little more grace and be able to look at each other and, and, and appreciate one another. And so that's a simple strategy to work on. Um, I think as parents, really focusing on your attunement, your attachment, and your connection with your child. There's just nothing more important than that right now. Um, they will be your children the rest of your life, way beyond COVID. So how can we use this time together 
to bring us closer, to, you know, foster more empathy and belonging in our family and focus on what's really important. Um, they're getting so much less connection from their peers, their social world, their teachers who children rely on so much for connection. So I just feel like whatever we can do to boost that right now is good. I would also say um, this is a time to assess the silver linings for your family. We have an opportunity right now where we're together and we can see what has really been important to us over these nine months as a family. What are the family values? What are our children's main go-tos that are wonderful for them, whether that's sports or music or art or certain friends that they really have, like it's become clear who their best friends are during this time. So what can we take moving forward that will help inform us so that when life does go more back to normal, we don't feel like we're back in the rat race again. Like how can we have the best scenario for our family? I found this incredibly helpful. Um, it's made me think about a lot of the things that uh, I'm doing wrong and, uh, you know, doing right. And um, thank you so much for being here. Where, where can our listeners find you if they would like to talk to you further about some of these things? Sure. My website is really the place to go. It's www.leahmneehouse.com. And there's tremendous, you know, parenting resources on there. You can get on my newsletter and blog list to know about upcoming events or get good parenting inspiration. Um, I offer psychotherapy. I have a high school girls group um, that meets in person outdoors every week right now. We have a middle school girls group in my practice. That's great. There's a lot of good support and um, information on there. So I, that's where you could find me. Spell Leah and spell Kneehouse for me. Sure. It's Leah, L-E-A-H. M is in Mary, Kneehaus, N-I-E-H-A-U-S. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you.